Well, it's good to see you all. Um, if you're a guest with us today, uh, my name's Drew, and I'm grateful that you're here. I'd love to meet you, so please uh, feel free to find me after the service. And what we do in this time is we take a portion of Scripture, and we believe this is God's Word. And so we're going to listen to Him speak to us through Scripture, and we'll consider what it means and what it means for us today. So if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Daniel 2. Now, the past weeks we've had that text printed on the lyric sheet, but this is the longest chapter in Daniel. And Daniel's chapters are a bit longer, so we're not sure we can fit it all. So just plan on bringing your Bibles. If you don't have it today, you can... Um, Maybe someone next to you does, or you can pull up your phone. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and we'll be in Daniel uh, chapter 2 together. And I'm continuing to be excited about this series and have been grateful for those of you who have shared with me your um, excitement for this as well. Um, you know, the book of Daniel shows us what it looks like, as we're seeing, to thrive in exile. So Daniel and his friends were Jewish believers who lived in Judah and uh, the land of Judea, and then they were taken from their home and brought to another land. So they were living in a foreign land. They were taken into exile. Their land was not their home. And they were moving from a place where you know, the government, the ethics, the culture was shaped by God's revelation. And they were brought to a place uh, that was very much not shaped by that. It was a completely foreign land. And yet, we can see here how they not only could survive that situation, but actually thrive in exile. Now, we're, as Christians, in the same kind of situation today. Last week, we saw that Christians are exiles in this world. Our true home is with Jesus and the new creation to come. It's with our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the new creation to come. And so if that's our true home, then that means that no country, no state, no community will be our truest home. And so like Babylon, where Daniel and his friends find themselves, our culture is less and less shaped by the Christian worldview or biblical revelation, and so it's becoming even hostile to Christian beliefs and ethics. So how do Christians live in this kind of environment. Well, this is why Daniel's so relevant to us, because it shows us how to engage with our culture and community and people in a way that is faithful to God and loving toward our neighbors, to be faithful witnesses of Christ. It shows us how to live in this world and thrive in this culture. So one of the greatest challenges that we have in exile, as Christians in exile now, is this sense of hopelessness that can develop. Uh, hopeless, hopelessness that anything will get better. Our nation right now seems like it's just unraveling before our eyes. You may be becoming anxious about the future, both our nation or your community or just you personally. Um, we may become angry, may become hopeless and want to give up just even trying and engaging with others. And this is why we need the message of Daniel chapter 2 in particular. This chapter we're about to read exists to comfort us with the message, really the gospel message, the good news from God, that one day all human kingdoms will be replaced by God's kingdom. And the world will return to flourishing. All will be set right. All will be made new. And so this is the comfort of the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to announce, that his kingdom was breaking into the world, and he's welcoming people in by grace now, and we have a hope and a future that all will be made new. And so God's moving history along according to his plan. But how does, how does that hope give us comfort now? And in particular from this chapter. Well, God gives hope to his people here in a surprising way. By giving a pagan king a terrifying dream. 
at least terrifying to him. So let's read this together. It's a little bit of a longer text. Um, so I encourage you, if your mind drifts for a moment, just re-engage. And, um, and then we'll consider this together. So Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign, reign of Nebuchadnezzar, this is the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious. And commanded the all, wise, all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So the decree went out. And the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's camp captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his friends, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, and this is the heart key moment turning point of this story, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And then he gives this vision and interpretation. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you look, a, looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. So this is God's revelation to Nebuchadnezzar and through him to us. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, verse 38, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that the, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain, its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. This is God's word to us this morning, and we believe that the Lord himself has spoken to us, which is why we value the reading of scripture, no matter how long it takes. We believe this is God's word to us. So let's consider in the time we have left uh, what the Lord may have for us through this. So we'll, we'll just follow, walk through this text in four uh, brief parts. We'll see the king's rage, Daniel's prayer, God's kingdom, and then our response. So first we see the king's rage here. Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, this, you know, Babylon was the world superpower of the time. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is history's one of history's most powerful men. And yet here we get a glimpse into his life and he is distressed about a dream. We should just pause here and recognize God can do that today. Right? He can take any world power, any president, anyone around, and he could mess them up by giving them a vision in the night that they might need to seek uh, an answer about. So he gets this vision. It's an image of a, of a person made out of these various metals. And then this stone comes from heaven and crushes that whole image. And then that stone grows to a mountain. So he's distressed. He has no idea what it means. So he calls together all the magicians, the wise men, the astrologers, everyone in his kingdom who, who claims to have some kind of access to the gods to find out these things. And he tells them he's wise. He doesn't just say, here's the dream. Tell me what it means. Because he knows they could make it up. Right? He says, tell me the dream. And the interpretation, right? That's what all that stuff is going on in the beginning. They're, they're back and forth because they're like, uh, you tell us the dream and then we'll tell you what it means. And he's like, no, you tell me the dream then I know you're not making things up, right? So they're stalling and finally they just say, this is unreasonable. No one has ever asked this of anyone. Um, and then the king flies into a rage and decrees that they all need to die. Verse 13, the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And this is where Daniel comes in and the Lord's plan. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Story after story in Daniel is about God delivering his people. They need deliverance right now. So here is one of the most powerful men in all human history, overwhelmed with anxiety. And just let's pause here and, and see that this shows us the emptiness of everything that he has confidence in. One of the world's most powerful men. Everything at his fingertips. And yet... He is completely overwhelmed in the face of his mortality in this threat of this dream. This shows the emptiness of all false religions or all things that we make up. The Babylonians relied on all sorts of false gods, but at the end of the day, they made it up. The gods weren't real. The magicians couldn't actually have access to what was in his head. And so this was all very comforting to the king and all of these people until the king's life seemed to be at stake and he felt threatened. And so he starts thinking about his mortality and the gods that they worship. They're not actually there. The magicians are shown to be empty. Nothing can help him but the one true God. And this reminds us that in the face of death and our mortality, which is on our minds the, this year, uh, platitudes don't work, right? People make stuff up all the time um, about becoming angels when we die or giving signs in the clouds and so forth. But making up comforts does not give us the deep comfort that we need. The false gods and the magicians were shown to be empty here. This is why a later verse in this chapter is so important, and we'll get to it in a moment, where Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, um, a, an author and leader from a generation ago, wrote a book called He is There and He is Not Silent, um, which means there is a true God 
and we don't have to guess about him. He's actually spoken through his word and supremely in Jesus Christ. This is why we, we value and believe in and hold fast to the historical reality of Jesus. That God the Son became a man and actually lived and he died for our sins and he rose again and he ascended as king. Because we don't want to have to make stuff up for comfort. We want reality and real comfort. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar needed here. So that's the king's rage. And now we see Daniel's prayer. Notice how Daniel had a completely different response, even though his life was threatened as well, right? The king has a dream and he senses there's a threat to his reign or, or life, but he's not sure of timetables. Daniel's life is actually threatened on the spot and he remains calm and he shows wisdom. God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. We saw last, in the last week, last chapter. So he asked to see the king, but first he prays and he doesn't do it alone. He goes to his friends and ask them to pray as well. So really Daniel's response is a, cal- a posture of calm, calmness where he goes to his friends and the Lord. I love verse 17. You can see it with me. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his friends. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that's Daniel's response to trials. He goes to his friends and he goes to God. This is a great example for us in our trials. Some of you are facing great hardship. You're tempted to be anxious. Many of you are having a hard time sleeping perhaps because of anxiety. You have a knot in your stomach through the day. What do you need? Well, two things you do need we see here. You need friends and you need the God in heaven as your truest friend. You need to share with your friends what's burdening your heart and then ask them to join you in prayer. And if you're a friend and someone shares a burden with you, Be sure to pray for them. Pray with them right there if they're open to that. Verse 17 is a great picture of true biblical friendship. It's a picture of small group life. As we face trials in our week, we come together, we share these burdens, and we bring them to the Lord together. And then we see Daniel's praise. Verse 19, I noted, was the center of the story, this climactic turning point. It says this, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. I mean, if that didn't happen, Daniel's dead. God delivered him by revealing this mystery in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God answered Daniel's prayer. He revealed the king's dream to him. We'll see what that was all about in just a moment. But what we see here is Daniel doesn't just get access to the dream and then rush off to save his life and go to the king. First, he stops to praise God. Look at that praise in verse 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then from that posture of prayer and praise, he goes to the king. And he asks the king, verse 27, or the king asks him in verse 27, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Again, both things he's asking of him. And Daniel doesn't simply say, yes, I am. He says, Nobody can know your dream. But then verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So he's saying no one on earth can solve your problem, but there is a God in heaven. Whatever you and I are anxious about, you can speak that kind of truth to your soul as well. Whatever, whenever you and I are reminded of our concerns in these days, we need to remember, we may not have any idea how to get out of this, but there is a God in heaven. So you may not know how you're going to get out of debt, but there is a God in heaven 
You may be anxious about your children's health. There is a God in heaven. What's going to happen in this next election? Whatever happens, there is a God in heaven. How will we get through this test? There is a God in heaven. As Jesus put it, when Peter was even asking him about how in the world can someone be saved, Jesus said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because God can bring people to faith and give new hearts. So this doesn't mean that God will immediately solve all our problems. But it does mean that nothing's hopeless. We have a God in heaven. And we can trust him. So third, we see after Daniel's prayer, we see God's kingdom. Daniel now reveals the dream and the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And two main images here are the statue and the stone. So let's consider the meaning of both of these. First, so we're in, we're in this dream now. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this statue of a person. The head is gold. The chest and arms are silver. The middle is bronze. And the legs are iron. And the feet are a mix of iron and clay. Kids, if you have paper and something to draw with, I'd love to see uh, your drawing of this. Maybe you're already working on this. It's, this. it's a big image with all these different metals here. And it's essentially, as we find out, a progression of kingdoms. So if you, you know, take this image and turn it on its side, you're, you're, it's, a, it's a timeline, right, of, of a progression of kingdoms. So the, the head of gold is first, and that's Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And then there's a succession of kingdoms after that, represented by silver and bronze and iron and this iron and clay mixture. Now, there's been a lot of speculation over the years about who these kingdoms are. And I think the most common and likely interpretation um, is this is just the progression of kingdoms after Babylon. So after Babylon... Uh, the silver would be the Medo-Persian Empire. So if you're familiar with history, you'll know these big empires that happened, or you can look this up, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, the bronze section is most likely Greece. So the Greeks rose to power with Alexander the Great, crushing like iron, all of these other places. But then the Greeks were overtaken, and the Romans came to power. And so in this final section, this mix of iron and clay probably refers to these divisions within the Roman Empire. But then the next image, so that's this picture of this statue. The next image is a stone. And the stone is the kingdom of God. So in the dream, the stone came down and struck the image and then grew into a giant mountain and filled the earth. In Daniel's explanation, he says, this is God's kingdom. So look with me at verse 44 and 45. In the days of those kings, this Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that the st a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. This is going to happen. So this answers four important questions about God's kingdom. One, where does God's kingdom come from? Well, it comes from God. This stone was cut from no human hand, right? A way of saying this is coming from God in heaven. Uh, no, no human being can create God's kingdom. God brings it and he brought it by sending Jesus. Second question, how does it come? Well, it will be like a stone coming down, striking this image of the other kingdoms and then growing into a great mountain. So in other words, this is not a picture of a great mountain coming and just crushing everything at once. Instead, it's a stone that comes down that then will grow into a mountain. So God's kingdom will come like a stone in the midst of the Roman Empire 
and then it will grow to fill the earth. It will start small and grow large. Third question, how long will this kingdom last? So this kingdom from God, starting small, growing large, how long will it last? Well, we see all these other kingdoms give way one after another. Each one's conquered, but this final kingdom, the kingdom of God, will not be conquered. It will be an eternal kingdom. He says this will be a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So that leaves us with a final question. When does it arrive? And it arrives in the time of this final kingdom in the image, which is the Roman Empire. So the progression will be Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, the Roman Empire, and then the kingdom of God will come. So when are we to expect this? Well, we already have seen in history how this happened. This happened in the first century with the coming of Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry, he came in the midst of the Roman Empire and he announced, the time is fulfilled, right? The promises that you've been waiting for. You've all been reading Daniel. You've been reading other things. Jesus shows up and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he described the kingdom in ways that were like this stone. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then the book of Acts shows us how this growth happened in the first century. The kingdom started like a little stone or like a mustard seed. A handful of followers of Jesus. And then it grew and grew across the Roman Empire and beyond. In in all over the world, in Africa, and in Asia, and throughout Europe, crossing the continents and the oceans. Eventually, centuries later, the Roman Empire fell, but God's kingdom continues. And now we're in the 21st century. Other kingdoms have risen and fallen. We're in the midst of America, and it has risen and one day may fall. We don't know, but we do know this, that those who trust in Christ have an identity in a kingdom that cannot fall. We already now are part of a kingdom that has endured, is enduring, and will endure. And it's growing. So finally, what's our response to all of this? There's a lot. Three words for us to consider. Uh, Perspective, calm, and mission. Perspective. Let's find comfort from the perspective that this vision gives us. This shows us that God is sovereign or in charge of all kingdoms. When God reveals the progression of kingdoms in this image, he's not merely predicting the future. He's explaining the unfolding of his plan. God is the one who allows kingdoms to rise and fall. And this is what Daniel grasps and he praises God for it. Look back at his prayer in verses 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And then, did you hear what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar? He said, you're the head of gold. And then verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. So this terrible king, God gave him the kingdom. So Daniel acknowledges that Nebuchadnezzar is under God's sovereign hand. God is ultimately in charge of the rise and fall of kingdoms. Now this does not mean that God approves of every king. 
end the king's ways. This does not mean that every new president, though in God's sovereignty, is appointed by God, is actually approved of by God. We can affirm both of these at the same time, that God is the one who appoints presidents and leaders and kings, and that God has mysterious reasons for doing it, and, and it does not mean that he approves of them. He could appoint a king as a judgment for a nation, or a president as a judgment for a nation. So God's sovereignty doesn't mean that whatever he does, um, he approves of morally or ethically. There's a mystery to how God rules the world, but what we see is that he is good, and he moves, works everything together for the good of his people through his plan. And so this election season matters. What happens in our government matters. Christians should wisely serve in public office and vote wisely. But through it all, we take comfort in this perspective that God's sovereign over it all. No matter how crazy it is, God has a plan. No matter what happens, our truest citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. We happen to be living in a time and a place such as this. Could have been another time, another century, another kingdom. And we would be part of the same true kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. So perspective. Second, calm. Nebuchadnezzar is distressed because he has no idea about this perspective. He has no idea how history is going to unfold. He was uncertain of his own future. His dream threatened him. He started to lose it. And Daniel here, life on the line, calm. He's wise. He trusted the Lord. He prayed. He acted boldly. That kind of response only comes from having this kind of perspective and this kind of relationship with the God in heaven. This chapter shows us that we should not just look to the next month or the next year or the next decade for hope. We look to the ultimate bigger picture of God's arc over history, that everything is moving toward the expanse of this great mountain. And finally, mission. The stone has already come. It came with Jesus' first coming, and now Christ's kingdom is growing into a large mountain. You could picture the hill you're all sitting on, right? Imagine that just starting as a little rock at your feet and it's grown and now it's grown to this big hill and one day it's going to grow to fill the parking lot and this whole area and the world. That's the picture that, that is given here of God's kingdom. And so how does this kingdom grow? Two ways. Cosmically and personally. And we'll end with this. First, cosmic. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, all authority has been given to me. That was upon his resurrection. In other words, when Jesus was risen from the dead, he was taking his enthronement as king of creation. Uh, he's actually alluding to a later chapter in Daniel. He's saying, I'm the king. The kingdom's here. And so let's see this grow. And then he said, go make disciples of all nations. In other words, my kingdom's here. The king is risen. So go tell people the good news. Go tell people that there's an eternal kingdom that's broken into the world that they can be a part of. And since this is after the resurrection, he's saying this is a kingdom of grace because he just died for the sins of those who should be crushed by his kingdom. That's us. But instead, he dies in our place so that we can have grace and enter his kingdom without threat of being crushed, but on terms of friendship with him as the king. And so the king, kingdom grows. And so the Great Commission is essentially Christians going to their family and friends and neighbors and other nations, telling people about King Jesus so that they can be a part of seeing this mountain grow and expand, being part of this mustard seed growing. The kingdoms come and we announce the good news to the world. And we announce that the king is here 
And he's not just a king, he's also a savior. And we can be in on grace. If you're not yet part of the kingdom of Christ, he welcomes you this morning. You can be one more stone added to that mountain, part of it growing, by just coming to the God in heaven and saying, I repent of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ. Thank you for letting me be a part of your kingdom. And you're received. So that's the, per the cosmic growth. And that's an encouragement for us to announce the good news to people in all the creative ways we can, in all the dependent prayer we can. And then finally, personally, Jesus is bringing us into his kingdom, but he's also growing us. It's not just that we're in and it's done. The kingdom is about the rule of Jesus, the gracious rule of Jesus. And when we become a Christian, that rule, we begin to submit to it, but there are so many areas of our heart and lives that still need to be submitted to it because it grows like a stone into a mountain in our own heart. And so we still have day by day the need to adjust and adapt to his gracious rule. So this is very personal for each one of us. So Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray that now, we, we both thank God that his kingdom has come. We pray that it would spread more and more cosmically and personally in our own heart as we repent and trust. And then we pray for it to come in all its fullness when Jesus returns to make all things new. And so Jesus himself invites us to pray. And so let's do this and then we'll sing celebrating our King Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that uh, we don't have to make up the hope that you are in heaven and that your kingdom through Jesus is spreading. We thank you that we have real hope and that you revealed your plan in history to Nebuchadnezzar and that this was preserved for us to know even today. We thank you that you sent Jesus to come into history to establish the kingdom. We thank you that you are actually changing our hearts to bring us into your kingdom and you're spreading it from nation to nation, from people group to people group, from person to person, even now. And so we pray that this would give us a great perspective and calm and hope in these coming months. We pray that the hope that's within us would create questions in other people as they observe us, not like Nebuchadnezzar, but like Daniel, and that we'd be able to talk about the calm that comes knowing you, from knowing you and knowing your care for us through Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, in the Spirit. Amen.